morning, Kent Cove. My name is Pastor Corey. I'm the transition pastor here at Kent Cove. It is my uh, joy to be with you this morning. We're looking at a text from Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 1, verse, beginning in verse 3, going through verse 11. Paul writes, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Please join me in prayer. Bless us this day, O Lord, with vision. May this place be a sacred place, a telling space, where heaven and earth meet. Amen. So we are today on the second Sunday of Advent. And for those of you who are perhaps not familiar with the liturgical calendar, Advent is the season that kicks off the liturgical year. And it is a season of expectant waiting. Expectant waiting for the coming of both remembering the coming of the Christ child the first time and anticipating the return of Christ at the end of time. And today's theme is peace. And this was a struggle for me this week and lately, I have to just admit. I don't know about you, but sometimes I get a little impatient as I wait for peace. Right? I mean, I think we can all recognize this in this cultural moment that we find ourselves in that peace seems a long way off. Peace seems perhaps out of our grasp. Peace seems like something that we can't quite get to. I think of the words of my favorite Irish poet, Paul Hewson, who wrote these words, Heaven on earth, we need it now. I'm sick of all this hanging around. Sick of sorrow, sick of pain, sick of hearing again and again that there's going to be peace on earth. Jesus, in the song you wrote, the words are sticking in my throat, peace on earth. Hear it every Christmas time, but hope in history won't rhyme. So what's it worth, this peace on earth? 
we find ourselves in this moment of time longing for something that we're not experiencing, right? We find ourselves longing for Jesus to come and to make things whole. We find ourselves, as was mentioned earlier, in the now and the not yet. We have experienced the hope of Christ, some of us, eight more of us this week. Thank you, Jesus. But we also recognize that that doesn't make everything okay, right? It gives us hope, it brings us healing, but we recognize that we're still longing for that day. Years ago, I did an exercise with uh, the church that I was working with. I was working with the leaders, and we were, we were doing an exercise where I was asking them to kind of chart out their spiritual lives, their journeys, like chart, draw a, a line that exemplifies what your relationship or your experience of faith has been like. When have you felt, you know, closest to Jesus? And then when have you felt farthest away from God? And, and most people, when they do this exercise, the, you know, as we might imagine, the line goes up and down depending on what happened in that season of their life. There are seasons when we feel extremely close to God, and there are other seasons where we feel so acutely the absence of God, right? And so this line goes up and down, kind of like an EKG, right? Well, I had this one woman who, her response, and she at this time was probably in her mid-70s, and her line went like this, Straight across. I think she misunderstood the assignment. But her answer was, well, I met Jesus, you know, I was born. I met Jesus when I was 16, and ever since, everything's been A-OK. Right? And she, was, and she said this beaming with pride, and it broke my heart. Because I felt like, how is it that you can't be honest about what your experience of faith has been like? Or, alternatively, how is it that you aren't feeling things? How is it that you're not recognizing the, the way life moves and goes back and forth? So what does all of this have to do with our text from Philippians? Well, I promise that we're going to get there. But before we do, I want to just give some background about this letter. So the, the letter to the Philippians, this is a church that we perhaps know more about Paul's relationship with this church than any of the other churches that we have letters from Paul to in the New Testament. Okay, so the Philippian church, um, a couple of things. We know that this letter was written from prison. Uh, Tradition and most scholars believe that Paul wrote this from Rome. And um, sometime in the time he was imprisoned in Rome shortly before his death. We know that the church was uh, the church in Philippi was founded by Paul. If you want to read about that, you can read it in Acts 16. Paul goes there uh, in response to the Spirit's prompting on his second missionary journey. And we also know that Paul visited at least one more time again on his third missionary journey. Some uh, scholars suggest that it was probably at least twice because he would have visited going and coming back on that journey. And so we know that Paul has 
a, a special relationship with this church. He spent some time with them, and we hear that in the text that we read. So as we look at this verse, there's a couple things that I, there's so much that we could focus on. We could focus on Paul's gratitude, his thankfulness to God for his remembering of that relationship. We could talk about Paul's joy, which would be hopeful, but we can't talk about joy until we get to Joy Sunday, right? I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding but we're not going to. So um, we could talk about joy, but there's a couple things that I want to look at. So I'm going to just uh, focus on a couple of these verses that jumped out at me this week as I was preparing to be with you this morning. And the first is that verse 5. Why is it that Paul has joy? He has joy, the text tells us in verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So Paul has joy because of the partnership that he experiences with the Philippian church. What's interesting about this verse is that that word partnership, the word that's used there is actually a word that those of you who are church folks maybe would recognize. It's koinonia, which means we usually translate it fellowship, right? But the word actually is a little richer than that. It means fellowship. It means participation, sharing, partnership, contribution. And so there's this whole discussion of whether Paul is talking about uh, fellowship, whether he's talking about partnership, whether he's talking about being thankful for the money that the church had sent, which, you know, if you know anything about the, the way that system worked, if Paul's in prison, um, the only way he eats is if people are either bringing him food or sending him money, right? And so there's a lot of conversation about, well, what is Paul talking about there? And I think the best answer is that Paul's talking about it all. He's talking about the partnership. He's talking about the contribution they sent. He's talking about the fellowship that they experienced. He's talking about relationship, community, right? And it brings him joy to have experienced that kind of fellowship, that kind of deep partnership with the church in Philippi. Then going on to verse 7, Paul says that it is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. Because I have you in my heart. Paul has a deep affection for this group of brothers and sisters. He desires to be with them. He, des he is, gives thanks for them. They fill him with joy. And then Paul goes on to say um, that they all share in God's grace with me. Actually, a, lit a more literal um, translation of that part of the verse would be, you all are partakers with me of grace. God's presence is actually implied. It's not named in the text. But they all participate in the grace of God together. And so Paul has this attitude of thanksgiving and joy and, and um, closeness, this, this love for this congregation. 
because they have experienced all of these things together. And then he goes on to say that God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now, those of us who are parents or uh, those of us who live a long way from our loved ones, our families of blood or choice, can recognize the sense of this word, right? Especially in these holiday seasons when we think of those that we love who are a long way away from us. Or in this season, let's be honest, they don't even have to be that far away from us for us to feel like we haven't gotten to be together in the way that we would like. And we long for that connection. We long for that fellowship, for that time together. That's the kind of longing that Paul is talking about. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. Then Paul shares this prayer. Verses 9 to 11, Paul prays and says, This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That phrase struck me as I was working with this text this week and trying to think, well, how does this apply to us? And how does this apply to our longing for peace? And I want to take just a a stab at this if, if you'll bear with me for a minute. How is it that we are filled with the fruit of righteousness? Well, I think generally our posture when, when we don't really enter into this thoughtfully and mindfully and, and prayerfully is that, well, how we are filled with the fruit of righteousness is we try really hard, right? We do the right things. We behave in the right ways. We uh, do our morning devotions. We have our time with God. We don't do this, that, or the other thing, and we do do the right things, right? We have this understanding that that's how it happens. But Paul throughout this verse has been gently reminding, almost, um, almost unconsciously, I think, reminding the Philippians and us that actually the fruit of righteousness that he's talking about doesn't come from us at all. In fact, right here in this verse, he says that it comes through Jesus Christ. And as I was thinking about that, something struck me about one of the earlier verses that we looked at. Verse 8, when Paul says, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. What strikes me there is this, the affection of Christ Jesus. The word that's used there is actually a word, splonknois, and I'm sure splonknon, I'm, I'm slaughtering the Greek, right? But it's exactly what it sounds like. It's the word we get spleen from. 
It's guts. It's intestines. It's like the, the core of our being. The, the gut feeling. When we talk about a gut feeling, that's the word that we're talking about. And here's the thing. It reminded me of that affection of Christ Jesus. When we read in the Gospels that Christ had pity on someone, or Christ had compassion on someone, or Christ looked with love on someone, this is the word that's used. It means that Christ desires relationship, restoration, healing, shalom for that person. And it's not just a, boy, I really wish that Bob would experience my wholeness. I really wish that this woman at the well would experience my wholeness. I just, I, I, it would make me feel so good, right? Or the man, uh, the man tormented, you know, when Jesus crosses the lake to Gerasene and he meets the, the man possessed by demons... He, he has pity on him. He doesn't just think, boy, it'd be really nice for this guy if he could not be tormented like this. No. No. It's, it's, it's this deep longing. It's like it is ripping his guts out. So he, he so desperately wants to bring healing and restoration to these people. And it struck me that oftentimes because of our um, posture towards God, because we turn our spiritual lives into a list of do's and don'ts, because we turn our lives into things that we think that somehow we can pull ourselves up by our bootstraps or we can just behave a little better or we can just be a little better or have a better attitude or whatever it might be, we lose sight of the fact that this whole season we are longing like Christ longed to be with us for him to come back. We're longing for God. The whole idea of Christmas and, and I would argue, uh, the whole idea and the whole story of Scripture, we, we, get, it me, we get messed up because so many of us have been raised in the church and we've been raised to think that God is angry with us. Did you know that our denomination, part of the reason that we even exist is because one of our founding um, forebears disagreed with that theology? With that atonement theology, his name was P.P. Waldenstrom. He got kicked out of the State Church of Sweden because he wrote this paper about atonement that basically said that God, God's disposition towards us is not wrath, it's love. How revolutionary is that? When you read the story of Scripture from the very beginning, begin in Genesis, God created the world. He put Adam and Eve in a garden. He, he wanted them to have everything. Sin came and had its way with them. And so God kicked them out of the garden. But, but did God stay in the garden? No, God went, to the, went out of the garden with them. Even when they were still in the garden, what's the first thing God did? Came, um, Adam and Eve, uh, you have sinned. I've come to destroy you. No, Adam and Eve, where are you? I'm seeking you. And then you could read through the entire Old Testament, through Moses, through the prophets, through King David, through Solomon, all of it, every single story is a story of God seeking his people. 
God's disposition towards us is demonstrated in Jesus, and Jesus reflects the love of God. How does he do it? Well, he does it with this word. He does it because when he sees broken and hurting people, it rips his guts out. And he desperately wants us to experience wholeness. Friends, God is seeking after us. Advent is a season of waiting for Christ to appear again. But God has never stopped seeking us. I am convinced that we all need to be reminded that God is seeking us. Can you hear that this morning? Can you hear that God is seeking you? You see, what Paul is talking about for the Philippians, that longing that Paul experiences, he recognizes that this is the love of Christ for them through Paul. Right? Paul has experienced grace with them, and he desires to be reunited with them. And he says, it's right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. How is it that we abound, as Paul prays, more and more in the knowledge and depth of insight so that we may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless on the day of Christ. How is it that we do that? Well, the, the part that we have to do, and this can be really hard for us, is to learn to accept God's acceptance of you. God so desires relationship with his people that he sent his son. That's the season that we're celebrating, right? And I know theologically we're not supposed to get there yet. We're supposed to wait till Christmas. You know, the first church I served was um, a covenant church in Massachusetts. They were a bit more liturgical than, than you all are here. And we did not sing Christmas carols. We did not sing Christmas songs until Christmas, because in Advent, you sing Advent hymns. And while I get the point theologically, it's a little hard to pull off these days, <laughs> right? But the point is the same, that longing that we're supposed to be entering into in this season, that longing for Jesus, is the same longing that Paul had for the Philippians. And the way that we understand, or the way that we grow in what Paul prays for, the way that we abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight is to abound more and more in the experience of the love of God for us in Christ. You see, we can study the scriptures. We can know them inside and out. We can quote them uh, with address and everything over and over and over again. But if we do not know the love of God in Christ. If we have not experienced, as my uh, spiritual mentor Brennan Manning used to say, the relentless tenderness of Jesus, 
All of that scripture will be a, a gong, a clanging symbol, Paul says. Friends, I'm convinced that so much of what it means for us to be God's people for the sake of the world is rooted in this experience of God's acceptance of us. If we cannot experience God's love for us and believe that God actually does love us, then it doesn't matter how much scripture we read, it doesn't matter how much scripture we memorize, it doesn't matter how uh, many good things we do, because ultimately we've, we've not started at the beginning. The way that we experience that is to experience God's love for us, to open ourselves to the acceptance of God for us in Christ. Do you know this, brothers and sisters? Do you know this love, friends? God looks for you whether you have wandered off, stormed off, slammed the door, or just grown cold. God's desire is for you, wherever you find yourself and however you got there. You see, so many of us, we think that people are far from God. Usually, they, you know, we talk about how, well, you made a choice then to be far from God, which may be true. But it can also be true that we just got comfortable. We just got comfortable and we just stopped paying attention. And the next thing we knew is that we think that we're somehow doing it ourselves. Friends, God's desire is for you. And as we wait for peace this Advent, may we lean into, actually scratch that, may we fall into God's radical acceptance of us in Jesus Christ. Because it is only when we fall into that love that we will be made whole. That we will experience God's acceptance of us. And then recognize, as Paul says in this text, that one day, one day he will bring it to completion. One day he will bring it to completion. So friends, may you fall into God's acceptance of you this morning. Amen.